mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father through his Son, his only Son, his revealed Son, Jesus the Christ. My text this morning is printed in your worship guide. It's an excerpt from the Old Testament reading for the second Sunday after Epiphany. That means many of you will hear a larger portion of God's word on January 16th. And the pastors here today might have some help in what they, what they preach that Sunday. People God dearly loves. Who were these magi, these mysterious men of Matthew chapter 2? Where were they from? What route did they take to Israel? If they came from Persia, the trip was more than a thousand miles. What animals did I, what did they Did they ride? When I lived in Michigan in my youth, I loved seeing the large nativity pieces at Trinity Lutheran Church in Lansing. They had cutouts of painted plywood, and included in it were a life size camel, a horse, and an elephant. How did these men dress? What did they wear on their heads? Were they turbans or were they crowns? How did they hide their valuable treasures from bandits along the way? I'm just asking questions. You'll have to decide if finding out all the answers is that important to understand what Epiphany is all about. But this we can deduce. The Magi, the wise men, were both astronomers and scholars. They looked at the skies. They pondered the movement of the planets. These curious men spy a star, an aster, on the western horizon. Perhaps it was a special star that God hung in the sky. Perhaps it was a comet or a conjunction of planets. God using his creation to reveal his new creation action. Maybe that made them scratch their heads and open their ancient scrolls. And once again, if they were from Persia, well, where else might they find ancient Jewish writings about a promised king? So these kings come to the king's palace because they are seeking the new king revealed. And that's what Epiphany means, a revelation, an appearing. They arrive in Jerusalem. They head to the palace of Herod the Great, and they ask for an audience with the monarch. But Herod isn't expecting visitors, and Herod isn't expecting the message that they bring. The Magi don't really want to see him. They want to see this new, this newborn king. They want to see if he will be their king also. Kings wear crowns. Queens wear crowns. Princes and princesses wear crowns because they are rulers or they will be rulers. Crowns are about power. And we want crowns too. We want crowns that denote our power. We don't want others to turn our kingdoms upside down. We don't abide threats to our territories, staked out to show what we have conquered, what we control. Back to Herod. He's worried. No more than that, he's threatened. King Herod is threatened by a would-be king that he never saw coming. 
The chief priests and the scribes fill in some of the blanks, telling him about a ruler who will shepherd Israel. But this doesn't help because Herod the Great is paranoid. Someone is trying to take his kingdom. Someone is trying to steal his crown. Ah, but he's savvy. He interviews the wise men. He inquires when exactly they saw this unusual and meaningful star. When did you start to travel? How long have you been on the road? And then Herod lies. Go, finish your journey. Find this new king and come back to tell me where I can find him because I want to worship him as much as you do. It's not a spoiler warning, but I only read through verse 12. But in verse 15, Matthew tells us why King Herod wants this information to destroy, to kill the child who threatens his throne. So the Magi continue their trek. The star leads them to Bethlehem, to the very house where the young boy Jesus is staying with Mary, his mother, and with Joseph, his guardian father. The wise men don't seem surprised at all to discover that the king they've been seeking is a toddler. They kneel. They bow. They prostrate themselves in the dust. They worship Jesus and give him their valuable gifts. As Jesus is now close to two years old and likely quite vocal, I'm convinced that Mary didn't need to coax a response from her son. She didn't need to whisper in Jesus' ear, What do you tell these nice men? I'm sure that Jesus said thank you to the Magi without any prompting, receiving the gift of their worship. Our Lord wore no crown that day, Not in the manger for the shepherds to see, not for Simeon and Anna in the temple courts when he was 40 days old, not for the Magi to observe when their seeking has brought them to this king. But there will be a crown, not then, but later, not of rich and shiny metal, not adorned with resplendent jewels. This crown will be twisted out of thorny branches, and the coronation will be in the palace of a king called Pontius Pilate. It will be done by Roman soldiers, mocking the one acclaimed and accused as the king of the Jews. For Jesus reigns at Golgotha. King Jesus reigns on the cross. He reigns over damning sin as he suffers and sheds his precious blood. As Peter writes, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And King Jesus reigns on the third day from an open grave, leaving a massive stone tossed aside like a pebble, unable to hold the Lord of life. There is more for us to recall and to rejoice in on this Epiphany Festival. The prophet Isaiah gives this promise to those gathered into the kingdom of God. You shall be a crown of splendor in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. We are the precious children of God. We are his crown of splendor. Here is the promise. Because our king wears a crown of thorns, he will give to his redeemed people 
a crown of righteousness, a crown of glory that will not fade away, a crown of life to wear for all eternity as we sing the song of all the saints, worthy are you, O Lord, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Crown him, ye kings, ye ye queens, crown him with many crowns, for he is king of all. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.